Hello and welcome to Life in the Weeds. My name's Alex Ballou. This episode, we sit down with Pete Adams. I've known Pete for a little over five years now, and Pete is one of the owners of Adams and Swan, their creative ad and marketing agency here in Middle Tennessee. We really dig into how Pete got to be a small business owner, the journey it took to get him here, and why marketing and advertising is so important for small businesses. And really, it can be a detriment to your business if you do not allocate funds for this incredibly important business tool. Please enjoy this episode with Pete Adams. Pete, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. I don't think I've seen you in like two years. It's been a minute. Probably pre-pandemic. Pre-COVID. Yeah, we used to have a little Friday Friday morning group, yep. and then germs, and then we quit doing that. Lots of germs. Lots of germs, yep. and then I got busy, and then you got busy, and we all got busy, and, and now you're sitting in front of me, and I have a podcast. As a chef that has a podcast, I have no business having a podcast. I just wish we had food. Like uh, There is food. Yeah. Some of it's raw, so. Right, that's fine. <laughs> just Some tartare. You might get some more germs. Yeah. I'm not sure chicken tartare. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, yeah, but thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you, you're in the marketing world, and I feel like your business is probably, as we were talking before this, your business is pretty important. You, we you help, want it to be important. Yeah, for well, sure. I mean, you help people cut through the mud, right? There's, what do you do? How do you make people successful? Yeah. How uh, are you successful? Well, so that's a good question. Um, I'll give you an overview of kind of our company and what we do. Um, so Adams and Swan, we're an advertising and digital marketing agency. Um, we say that we're an ad and marketing agency because that's how most people kind of think of about what we do. But in reality, what we are is a sales company that uses advertising and marketing principles and disciplines to execute revenue goals for clients. So from a sales standpoint, we just use advertising and marketing to get there. Um, and so we do everything from TV commercials to uh, billboards and website development and SEO and social media and all of those type of things. And, and we work with mostly small to medium businesses and develop a kind of a custom plan based on what they need, who their customers are. We flesh out kind of the story and what their brand is needing to say. And then we execute those type of ideas into the different executions of digital marketing and advertising based on their budget and who they're going after. So that's kind of the overview of what we do. And we, we've been doing it for seven years now. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's what, what we do and who we are. So if a small, like a small business that has never marketed before, they have fear probably that they're about to drop money into something that is, it's a little bit like Russian roulette. It feels like from, from my perspective of being a small business owner and not, knowing anything about the marketing world other than how to post on Instagram, you know, we have this feeling that we're just going to flush our money down the drain. And so do you find that that's a misconception that a lot of small business owners have? They share that they're fearful in getting started in marketing until they I see think, the results. I think all small business owners, startups have that fear. And so when we talk to businesses, most of the time, we're not talking to well-capitalized businesses. We're talking to businesses when I, in the start in the startup world, right? So when they're starting up, whatever they are, whatever they're in, they've spent all of this time getting their location or building up the staff that they need, coming up with an idea that they're going to sell product or service, and the last thing that they do is they think about marketing it. In a lot of time, in a lot of cases, 
really good startups that are well capitalized come, go in with a marketing plan. But there's very few really well capitalized, really good startups, especially in the area that we're working, right? So um, I think that everybody who goes and gets a loan at a bank should have to have a marketing plan and a way to fund that marketing plan as part of the loan approval process to start their business if they start it with a loan. Um, Self-funded startups, you know, they're very, very rarely have any money earmarked for marketing purposes or advertising purposes. And, um, you know, it depends on the business, but that can be a pretty fatal mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you get the word out? How do you, how do you cut through all the noise? You know, for me, I was one restaurant out of a thousand in a town of 300,000 people. It's like, how do you, how do you get people to know about you versus going to Longhorn and Texas Roadhouse and Outback and all these other places? Advertising is incredibly important. And how do you, how did you land here though? Like when when you were in high school, did you think like, did you just love commercials and want to be like, man, I really want to make a commercial one day or how did you get here? Um, so I, I, right out of college, I started selling technology solutions for a big company, hardware, software solutions. And I, I was pretty good at selling. This and is a then, computer company? Yeah. In Nashville? Yeah, Dell Computers. Yeah, yeah. Next to the airport? Can we say, can we say a name? I don't think they're going to. I mean, okay. this is not regular. They're not coming after you. I don't think so. <laughs> Let's hope not. They got a lot more money. <laughs> There's a lot of things they can do. Yeah, that. I worked I worked at Dell and I worked in the medium and mid-market business space. And I figured a couple things out. I was good at selling, first of all. But more importantly, I was good at explaining complex things to people who didn't understand those complex things but needed those complex things, right? So uh, instead of getting into the speeds and feeds and all the specs and the technical stuff, I would really figure out what they were looking to do and then come up with a solution for that and then talk to them about price. And then it worked really well. Um, So after seven, eight years of doing that, I had a lot of experience explaining things that were hard to comprehend for a lot of people and then selling those things. And I started working in a software company here locally. Um, and I was getting requests for things like, do you guys do social media? No. Do you guys do logos? No. Can, I need an ad for this. And all of these people were coming to us for this stuff. And I asked the owner if he wanted to do these things. And he said he wasn't interested. We were a software company. He wasn't interested in like the creative part of an advertising. Branching out. Yeah. My business partner, Travis, he actually worked at a newspaper. He studied advertising, and his first job was at a local newspaper where he sold advertising, he did editorial, he kind of did a lot of different things for a small newspaper. And speaking of small businesses, you end up doing 10 different jobs. I mean, there's no like- There's not enough people. There's no one job description that you can do as a business owner. So, or someone who's running, and he was running it for a board of uh, owners we got together, we, we met, and we kind of had the same idea. Like, you know, if we did an ad agency, how would we do it? And I had bought agency services before in my role, and I didn't really care for how the process went. I felt like it was very good for the ad agency and not very good for the buyer. Right. And, you know, we had this naive idea that if we ever started an ad agency or marketing agency, whatever, um, we would do it differently. We wouldn't have these long contracts. We wouldn't have retainers. We wouldn't have this other thing. We would do project-based work and no contract kind of monthly services. And we would do it in a way that was really geared towards the goals of the company. And so our strategy had to be very, very strong by doing that. Um, You're good. Okay. So our strategy had to be very, very good by doing that. 
So I never worked in an ad agency until I had my name on one, which is kind of, I don't know, stupid, weird, I don't know. Ballsy. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. Uh, naive, but I never had worked in an ad. I just knew I could sell, and I knew that I understood uh, business. I studied finance in college. Um, so I knew I understood business and sales, but I just thought, okay, if I was going to get a client and I had to sell their product or service, how would I sell it to somebody? Okay, if I can figure out how to sell it, then I'll just use that for ad copy or I'll just use that for website, like to, to how, how the website should be built. And so we work back from how the sales process works into that. That's my approach. Um, we also really focus on like, what is the brand trying to say? Uh, what is the value of the buyer? What, what does the buyer really want? Most businesses think that the buyer wants to buy a product or service, and that's not the case. Buyers want to buy something that makes them feel good about themselves, saves them time, makes them uh, more esteemed in the eyes of other people, um, you know, et cetera. So whenever a business comes to us and wants to sell a product or service, we try to un uncover the hidden buying motives of the buyer and then speak to those things uh, instead of just, this is what we sell, this is how much it costs, or now it's on sale. You know, that's the lowest form of like storytelling in a brand. If we can uncover the hidden understanding of what a buyer really wants, that's where we'll get customers. That's where we'll get people buying the services for our clients. And that's our approach. So you think people want to buy a $1,500 coach purse just because it's coach and the way other people perceive them by holding that coach purse? Yeah, or how it makes them feel about themselves, right? Yeah. So can, like high level, and we don't work in the high level consumer goods space, right? That's not something that we do. But that's Me, a good, I don't own. I don't own anything in well, that Well, that's space. a good example though. <laughs> like why would you buy that? You know, whether it be, you know, Air Jordans or, uh, a coach purse it's because it makes you feel good you don't need that thing yeah. you can buy something of equal or better quality for cheaper if that's what you're after but the buyer for that product buys it because it makes them feel good about themselves in some way so we want to speak to that intrinsic need to kind of feel good about the purchase if it's a consumer good right if it's a business to business uh, service sale then what are the advantages of that it's probably save time, same, save cost, you know, be more efficient. We got to speak to those values. Um, not just you need to buy this accounting service or you need this legal service. It's this legal service will help you do this, or this accounting service will save you money in this way. So that's the, like the, the buyer profile that we want to uncover. Yeah. And we sell a lot of things that are not sexy, right? But they're Give me very important. Uh, HVAC units. Oh yeah, that's not sexy. No, who who big metal to, box? Exactly, and they're expensive. Yeah, and very. who wants to think about that? Got you a new one last year. Yeah, terrible. So right in the middle of summer. What's important, right? <laughs> cold air. Cold air when it's hot, <laughs> yeah. and warm air when it's Correct. cold. Yeah. Right. So we have to think about, but not just that. What's also important is trust in who you're buying it from. Right. And the belief that what you're buying is not going to crap out in two years, and that if you do have a problem, the company's going to be reputable and come back and fix it you know so like those are the hidden buying signals that people don't think about and that's what we're trying to bring out cool i have a, a an inter a funny story about a girl who got a coach purse this is 2002 i was bartending at j alexander's it was like the week between christmas and new year's and we got a lot of vanderbilt and belmont people that came in and we were packed at the bar and uh, we were probably too deep. She was waiting on a table. She was with her boyfriend and then two other two other people. And she was 
real rude and real impatient, and she asked for the, the cheapest glass of red wine that we had, and so I, I gave it to her. And uh, well, I had conversation with her and her group for about 30 minutes, and they finally got their table. And she puts her purse on the table, and she slides in, puts her glass of wine right beside it, and her boyfriend slides in and knocks her glass of wine, her incredibly cheap glass nice. of wine, into her $1,500 purse, stains it, ruins it, and she lost her marbles. And it was it's just so funny to see a $5 glass of wine ruin a $1,500 purse. And maybe a relationship. Yeah, tough, and she came undone. Tough I mean, scene for that it guy. It was rough. It was not a good New Year's for them, for <laughs> sure, for sure. So, I don't know. I've never forgotten that. It's been almost 20 years, and that's that 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 moment has stuck in my mind for so long. Yeah. What's one of the uh, what's one of the coolest ads you've ever made? Um I don't know. We've or done most fun to work with. I'll tell you the most fun type of customer that sure. we have. Um, we do a lot in construction in the trades, believe it or not. Um, and those clients are really, really fun. Most of them don't really, and they, they, they'll tell you this, I'm not like speaking out of school here. They don't have a clue about like the creative, digital, advertising side. And they, right. that's why they know they need you. Um, they always are amazed at how things turn out because it looks really good and they had a, maybe a website that was 15 years old and so the change is so dramatic. Outdated, yeah. yeah and so they're like oh this is cool and these guys a lot of times they value like they've got a really great truck and they keep it clean and they do like really great hard work and labor and when you make them look good and it looks like this respected brand just honest guys just looking like, for an honest it's day's work true though yeah, yeah i mean they 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 go nuts over it I like working with those clients a lot. Um, the greatest or most fun type of ad that we've done. I mean, we did a lot of fun stuff with like the Outpost Armory. It's a gun store. They just so, opened a new location. Yeah, they did. So they're grand opening today yeah. as we're, as it's we're doing huge. this. It's really cool. Um, so like just like we had a lot of liberty to kind of be a little bit irreverent and, you know, um, so it's we right did, up your alley. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, oh, so here's a good example. So with them, during the 2016 election, um, we wanted to play off of the political election. And so we ran one of their employees for president. Um, and the reason we did is because we couldn't run any ads on Facebook or Instagram that were gun ads. But what we could do <laughs> is run an election ad for Weird Uncle. And so we ran, we ran Weird Uncle for president, <laughs> and we all of the ads on social. Eventually, this went away, but all the ads on social media went to the Weird Uncle for President dot com or whatever the website. I forget the address was, and there we had a fake profile, his whole like talking points, and they were all his you know, platform, everything. They were all related to like the the Second gun minute. buying world, right? Yeah. And they were very irreverent. But then at the very bottom, there was links to go buy certain ammo or accessories or guns on his website that linked over to the Outpost Army. So it was kind of a way to get around some of the social media right. like <clears throat> standards. But it was also really funny. We made some videos. We had these fake campaign ads. So that was actually a lot of fun. That's yeah. outside a lot of what we do. We don't do that kind of stuff every day. But in that case, that was a lot of fun. Where do, sure. you, where do you find some of the inspiration for some of the ads and creative marketing that you come up with? 
Well, I mean, so, is it like a Pinterest board? I'm just I'm not a Pinterest board, obviously. But is there? Do you have people or other things that you see that you find like, hey, that's a good idea. I can tweak that, make this this way. Because I mean, as a chef, like we find inspiration in other places that we eat. Instagram, there's tons of inspiration online nowadays. I mean, is there a place that you find inspiration making creative ads for people? Um, so a couple things on that. So what drives how we tell a story either in an ad or on a brand strategy is the actual brand strategy that we go through and create with a client, right? So what are their values? What are their goals? Who are their customers? Once we have all of those things, then we understand the playing field that we're in, right? So um, we don't really go for the hokey and catchy very often. Um, do I actively go and look for inspiring ads? No, not really. But if I'm exposed to it, I, it definitely clicks in my mind for yeah. sure. I will say that, like, for instance, if, uh, if we had a client, we would go to maybe a similar market outside of Nashville that they're not competing with and just like look around. So recently we went and did an exercise where we were looking at logos and we picked a couple cities in, in, in the Southeast that were not ever going to be competing with this client and we wouldn't ever rip them off, but we just wanted to go look. And sure. so we just grabbed logos from this place and this place and this place. And we went to Austin, Texas and Charleston, South Carolina and Richmond, Virginia. And we tried to find like cities that were very similar, maybe in style or size to like the Nashville area. And we just collected all of these things into like a big, messy brainstorm. And then we went through and sorted those and sorted those and said, okay, this is what we like about this and what we like about that. And eventually we kind of came up with a concept that we felt worked for our client, the market here, and went from there. Um, so there are times when we'll go out of market to do research, but... Right. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make the next Nike ad. Sure. You know, that works for them, but it's, it might not work for the other things that we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, every there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that ha is created has been created and will be created again. And so unless you're incredibly avant-garde doing things super outside the box, I feel like we're all just borrowing things from other people and sources of inspiration and just kind of tweaking it and making it our own. And so that's, you know, anytime I would make a menu, I would do the same thing. I'd, I'd go look at restaurants in Seattle and look at their menu and go, oh, that's cool. And, you know, oh, I had a dish here in Chicago and it was this, but maybe if I made it with sweet potatoes instead of regular potatoes and used rabbit instead of wild boar, you know, and you start to create this new thing based off of an old thing that you just had. Sometimes that's where the coolest ideas come from. Yeah. And you, then in your you town, you feel like a genius. Yeah. You can <laughs> definitely get some inspiration, but really you can't do that until you know who your client is and who their buyer is. Right. Otherwise you're just kind of saying that's cool and it's so subjective and, it, and there's no like strategy to it. So, and this is not all on me. Like I'm a small part of this. I'm mostly on the strategy side and then me and Travis, my business partner, he's more on the creative side and he's way cooler than I am. He's way more exposed. He to, wears like, a lot of plaid. Yeah, well, he's he dresses cooler than me. <laughs> like, um, and then we our designer is great, Melinda. She's fantastic, and so it's a it's a team effort to kind of put all this into something. But it, I kind of kick it off with like, who are you? Where do you want to go? What's the story? And we we start talking about it, and then we kind of start bringing in creative elements and other things, and it it's all driven from that strategy. So when you first started. Um, what the the first year that you launched your business? That was the sole business. Did you still have a part time job? Did you still have a job while you launched your yeah. own company? So that's a good question. So 
by the time that we kind of had come up with this concept, um, we wanted to launch it, um, but we also, you know, had expenses and yeah, need you know, money. didn't have a hundred grand sitting around just to start a business. So, uh, for about five or six months, we were just doing kind of projects with people who came to us. We were pretty well networked in the, in this, in, in Murfreesboro where we're from, uh, and everything that we did, we just stuck it in the bank for five or six months. And we got to the point where we really wanted to keep it going longer like that. But we got to the point where it wasn't fair to our clients because we weren't able to put our whole attention to it. Right. And we were meeting like after five on Thursday or Saturday morning for coffee. And what about between eight and five Monday through Friday? No, I can't do that. You know, so like. We're really booked. We weren't telling telling people that we were full time, but some people didn't ask and some people didn't care. Some people knew and they thought it was cool. So we moonlighted for a little bit. Sure. So then we started and I went in full time. Uh, Travis was still working actually for a little while longer. For the newspaper? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he kind of went part time with the newspaper and part time with us. Um, and then so it got, you know, there it was it wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> How do you? How many hours a week when you really committed full time? How many hours a week do you think you were putting in? Forty? Um, no, no, no. Forty-five? No. I mean, it was all consuming, especially like that first year. Sure. Because um, everything was new. Like, right. and and I made the mistake of thinking, like a lot of small business owners think, well, I'm going to do all of my bookkeeping to save the money. <laughs> Um, or, you know, we could do our own marketing because that's what we do. So that wasn't a problem. Right. But I was trying to do everything on the cheap because if it was coming out of our bank account from our company, that means it was coming out of my bank account Absolutely. and Travis's bank account. But then it wasn't very efficient, you know. So, like, and I you're was, doing things you're not necessarily good at. Yeah, like keeping up with all of the state licensing and that's all of hard. Well, it's not hard, but it's something I didn't know how to do. So for like, a restaurant, there's a lot. Yeah, right? for so us, it's hard to keep yeah, up with. the LLC maintenance and stuff. I just didn't know Liquor about license, it. Liquor license, it's a lot. Yeah, so I, we hired, eventually we hired an attorney who just says, give me a check and sign this. And Did you then, do, was it Chris? Uh, what's his No, Jason King. Jason King, yeah. yeah he's yeah, he's okay. our business attorney. He does yep. all of our corporate maintenance. And then we hired an accountant and CPA to do all of our bookkeeping and taxes and you know, but at the very beginning, I was like, no, well, I'll figure it out. Um, and we had a little small office. We were, I mean, it was $400 a month, and it was one office, and we shared it, and it was no employees. It was just us. We were doing everything. And, you know, family was like, A, family was, hey, I have to go to this event. I have to get my name out. I have to go out these business cards. I have to go to this thing. I have to do this. I have to work. I have to do this. So family was was hurt for sure. How old was your daughter at the time? Oh, God. She was four. Do you feel like you had a – because I have a four-year-old and a Mm six-year-old, and when I opened the restaurant, my four-year-old was a little less than two. And I feel like the kid didn't even know me. Like, I saw him five, ten minutes a day. And so there was a huge gap in our relationship compared to my older child. And so do you feel like your relationship with her was – struggling i mean missing a beat so i'm gonna say no to that and and the reason why is if i wasn't working then i was pretty much spending time with her so i took her to school every morning got her dressed in the morning my wife's a school counselor so she's leaving 
you know, she's got to be at school by 6.30 or 7. So when my daughter was little, that means I was getting her dressed, getting her fed, getting her off to school. So I, I tried to squeeze as much quality time into that morning time. When I got home, I would take a break. If I wasn't out at an event that was an after-hours event, I would really not do anything with work unless it was absolutely necessary. And I would spend time and focus on, like, dinner and bedtime and all that. And then I would work till... You went to sleep. Yeah, like midnight or 1 o'clock on yeah. stuff after she went to bed, you know. Um, and you pretty much have a rule that you don't, like, text on the weekends, right? Or about work, at least? No, I don't. So... So when we first started, I would answer any text sure. or phone call from anybody who wanted to, to use our services. But so these days, I'm very protective about um, about weekends and off hours to a degree, especially weekends. And I'm about to go on vacation next week. When I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation. Right. My business partner, Travis, he still kind of will do stuff. And I've told him not to, but he wants to. When I'm out, like I'm out. And um, weekends are very, very similar. Like, I try to get that balance because I just don't think that it's not worth it to make a little bit more money to get one more deal and then, like, lose that family connection and that family time. It's just not. Right. And I have things that I like to do on the weekend, too, you know. Um, so, and then if a, if a customer or a client to me, and we have an office, it's not like your business with the restaurant, but, like, if a client demands that you answer the phone on Sunday – they're not going to be a good client anyways. So, right. like, you know, sorry. If that's who you want, go find it elsewhere. Like, But we have that luxury to say that now, sure. frankly. And, but, but seven years ago, you would not. Seven years ago, I mean, anybody who thought about a website or an ad campaign. All over it. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, I would, would crawl over broken yeah, glass. totally. <laughs> totally. But, I mean, and there's some of that hunger, though, that you have to keep. Once you start, once you get over that initial, like, okay, I got a business and it's open and it's starting to grow, you can't lose that hunger, but you can also, like, maybe you learn how to focus it, right, when when it's time to focus it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to burn out, and you're going to hate that you own a business because you don't own a business. Your business owns, owns you. you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, you have to figure out, like, any business first year or two is going to be, like, crazy where you're going to, like, work your tail off. It's just going to happen. Right. Um, but you have to figure out that balance at some point or else you're going to loathe having a business. You're going to wish you never did it. Yeah, did you ever read the E-Myth? Yeah, totally. I love that book. Yeah. It put a lot of things in perspective for me because, you know, you look. I look back at that, that photo of Jeff Bezos back in the day when he was starting and just Amazon was written real sloppy and that Sharpie mm -hmm. on a piece of cardboard duct taped to his wall. And that dude was doing all, all the things that he had to do, right, because he couldn't afford anybody else and it was just him. And so when I opened this place, it was like, man, I'm the entrepreneur, I'm the mechanic and the manager. And it turns out I'm really not good at I'm really not good at one of those things. Yeah. And I'm I really enjoy cooking. And then you open a restaurant and you're like, I open a restaurant because I love cooking. And then you don't cook anymore. You wind up doing all the administrative stuff that you suck at. Yeah. And it's 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 such a weird dichotomy that you you love it, but at the same time you're not doing what you're good at anymore. So you have to learn a whole new skill set. It's weird. Well, I respect people who start a business on their own. I have the luxury of having a business partner who is fantastic. Right. And we're so complimented for each other, right? So Very different people. Totally. If if I didn't have Travis, 
as my business partner, there's no way I'd have a business right now. Right. So the people who go out and do it on their own, like solo, like you did, or it's a husband and wife team or something like that, huge props because um, I don't think I could survive that way. I'm good at what I'm good at. Travis is really good at what he's good at, and those are different things, and thank God, because it wouldn't work without the no, other one. It would be a battle. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, tough. What do you think one of the biggest obstacles was to get from the beginning to where you are now? Um, Other than probably securing business. I mean, was there anything that stood out that just no, was like – No, actually, securing business wasn't as hard. Really? No. We were able to get business pretty – Quick, keep business for a long time. You have a great reputation in town. People love you. You're very active be, in the yeah. community and your church. You're an honest guy. I mean, you're enjoyable to be around. So, well, thank you. I can see how. I guess I can see how business would come to you easily in a small town. Yeah, a and we are. Yeah, I mean, we're the tenth fastest growing city in America, but at the same time, it's a very small. Like I pull up to a stoplight and I see somebody I went to third grade sure. with, and so yeah. it still has that small town vibe. And we're not the Sandlot, but it's pretty close. Yeah, but I mean. Was there one thing that stands out in your mind over the last seven years of like, God, that was a really hard time? Well, I think for us, the hardest thing that we we will solve this problem and then we'll come back and we'll have a different version of the problem as we grow. And that is making sure like all of our processes are really, really good. Like, so once our processes are really great for that stage of the business, we'll grow more and then we'll have to kind of tweak our processes or expand them to include like this new set of business and these new problems that we have. And then we'll do that. And then we'll have a period of growth and then we'll have to keep working on the processes and refining for that stage. So like that's been the hardest part because there is no, I mean, I didn't take it. There's no like, Hey, you're a small business owner. This is how you do it. Like school, like that I know of, like yeah. you have to kind of learn through failure. Right. Um, and you try to ask people and you try to read books and you try to like learn as much as you can, but there's never like the perfect roadmap for a small business owner to say, this is how you do it. You just have to figure it out. And the, the additional learning that you do through books and podcasts and videos and all these other things, um, we didn't want to pay a consultant to tell us how to do it because that might work or it'd be super expensive. So like we had to what will this we went through two or three different types of software to do project management right this did this works great but it doesn't work right here etc well and creative marketing doesn't stay the same i mean it, gro- no, it changes every now. every month there's mm-hmm. always something new a new technique a new new trend new whatever so it's it's probably taxing to stay on top of that all the time and be up to date and i mean in some ways you can do an ad style from the 1980s it seems cool and retro and people will be like man i love that and in some ways you'll be like dude that's so last that's so last month man uh yeah i mean it just depends on the market yeah. but yeah that's that's for sure do you uh do you have any mentors or advisors people that you really trust and that pour into you and tell you when a idea is good or bad or who do you kind of look to for that kind of thing so i have some good friends who will tell me the truth uh, about different everybody things. else just lies to you well i know that they're going to tell me the truth a lot of people you ask them their opinion and they'll just tell you what you want to hear because they don't want to they don't want to say the thing that will make you mad right they're scared about like hurting your feelings yeah but i have some good friends who will tell you like oh that's a great idea and when they say that you know it is and when they say oh i wouldn't do that then you can have a discussion about that and they really care about your about your uh you know your growth and your your company do you think Um, you would do you think you took that personally in years past and 
Because, like, for me, I have, I have about two people that I trust. And I would say six or seven years ago, I would have, like, I, I would take their critique personally and be like, God, man, why are you being so rude to me, man? And now I, it rolls off my back, and I hear it, and I go, you're right. And I hear it objectively versus personally. And so, I mean, I think I've grown in that. Growing up without a dad, it's kind of kind of messed with me a little mm-hmm. bit in that in that forefront. But I feel like I don't take things as personally as I used to because I know that the people that are telling me that are doing it because they love and care about me yeah. and they want to see success versus struggle and failure. Yeah. Um, Did you ever take that kind of thing personally? Well, that's not my personality. So I'm always asking for constructive or critical feedback. Like, so I'll do a project. Uh, personal or business and I'll show it to somebody and I'll be like listen tell me your your real thoughts on this and in fact if you love it like just say you love it and we'll just move on I don't really want to hear you say you love it it. yeah I don't want that I want you to like pinpoint everything that's wrong with whatever I'm showing you because I want it to be better right and this is another advantage of having a business partner who's a 50-50 partner if I come up with something or if Travis comes up with something uh, and we show it to each other we know if if tra- if I'm like, dude, this is awesome, and Travis is like, oh, no, I don't like it. Well, okay, I trust that he. Well, okay, so we'll have a con- or same thing with 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 him and me, uh, or friends. So if I work on a project and I'll be like, give me like really like give me what you don't like about this. I don't really want to know why you like it. I know why it's good, but I want to know why it's bad. That's just my personality. Not everybody has that. Yeah, that's just how I'm. I roll, and I don't know why. But um, but yeah, I could. I mean, criticism is something that you're going to face as a small business owner from clients or customers or the public or the whatever the internet yeah yelp, yelp reviews google <laughs> reviews um facebook so you're going to get that yeah um in some ways there's two ways i think you can react to it one you can do everything you can to make that person change their mind sometimes you can do that sometimes which i've been that can. person yeah it's, it's hard yeah you have to chase people down and get it's a lot them of work to, you know at least like, how can I make this person happy? Um, Turns out you can't sometimes. No, sometimes you can't. The other, the other way of thinking about it is, hey, I'm going to focus on my core, you know, fans, my core clients, uh, my core customers, and make sure that they're happy. Um, because if my core is not happy, if my, if my main group is not happy, chasing after people who aren't happy anyways. Tiresome. Yeah, well, it's not effective because right. you're going to alienate your fans of your business. Um, and so, like, you know, you can just try to tune out the haters. Um, but the only problem with that is sometimes Google reviews, that can really hurt you. They can. So you have to try to, like, placate some people just to get the Google review right. But as far as, like, how you make decisions in your business, like, really focus on your core audience and make them happy. Yeah, I mean, one person saying there's not enough sea scallops on the plate doesn't mean you go, I'll put more sea scallops on the plate, yeah. right? Because food cost matters. Sure. You're incredibly involved with some philanthropic stuff, nonprofit organizations, very heavily involved in your church. Do you do you think that has been beneficial in your business as well? Or, I mean, have you always been driven to be community-minded? I am. Um, so th- there's two ways to look at that, too. Some people want to be involved in the community so that they can get a return. Yeah, I know a few people like that. Okay. Uh, if you go into it, looks it good. well, it does. And everyone's like, Oh wow, this is really great. If you go into it with that mindset, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. Right. And the return won't be what you expect. If you go into it with an honest and earnest, like heartfelt reason, 
like I want to help people with this problem or I want to be involved to make this thing better. Um, and you really pour yourself into that thing, then I believe that the, the universe or God or however you put it does bring like goodness back to you. Yeah. All right. It's Car- a bit of karma, karma or, you know, blessings or however you describe right. it. Um, so I do believe that by genuinely inputting into the people around you or the world around you, you will receive however it comes back to you. But that can't be the reason why. Right. Or else you're doing it selfishly and it's just not, it's never going to be effective that way. Yeah. I'm the guy that like would give money to businesses or write checks or do donations or whatever. And then I actively ask them to not make an announcement about it. I mean, I, I wound up, you know, I'll say it now cause it's way past the point, but in the middle of COVID, I mean, I, I fed, I gave the hospital, you know, a couple hundred meals a few times and they, they wrote me a note and they wrote me a card and it's over there on the bar, but they were like, Oh, please, you know, t- give us your Instagram handle. We want to make a public post. I'm just like, I don't want that. Cause it's, it wasn't the purpose. Yeah. The purpose was you know, y'all are busting your asses working overtime. The least I can do is come bring you some food. I don't need you to, you know, praise me online to, mm-hmm. for me to feel good about it. And I don't, yeah, and, and in some ways in the world that we're in, sometimes people actually assume you did those things just so you can get acknowledgement about yeah. it. And that's not. Well, some people do. I mean, but it's the mindset. So if you have the mind, and you, we were talking about this before we turned on the, the red button here. The red button. The red button. Um, the idea of, you know, excellence is what you habitually do, right? right? So if you're excellent when you give to people, then you will also be excellent when you give to your customers or clients or your community and your community will recognize that and they will want to work with you right so it's not a give and take it's a mindset that that's just who you are yeah right so what do you think the some of the most impactful decisions you've made in your business have been hmm. um well Either major stepping stones majors like it can be good or bad decision like this decision was a terrible idea or this decision really helped catapult us to get us this client whatever so one decision that we made that we learned a lot from because it was a the wrong decision we had a client and fantastic client uh when i still see this client we laugh about this they're not a client really anymore though (laughs) because of me all right so let me give you the the 411 without spilling the beans we had a client who we loved. They were uh, similar age to us, newer business, a lot of similarities, doing great work. We did great work for them. They were very happy with it. It was ideal. We also had another client. Who so was, you thought. And, well, we had another client who was in a different industry who then started a company that was directly competing with our client. The client that we had was a better paying client on a monthly basis. We were revenueing more with them. Uh, than the client that we wanted to work with. And he said, hey, you can't work with those guys. I'm starting something that's going to compete with them. So I want you to fire them as a client, and I'm already paying you X amount. They're only paying you this amount. So from a business standpoint, just dollars and cents, it was the right decision. Right. So we did. Uh, They were upset with us, rightfully so. Sure. Because I turned around and said, I love you guys, but I can't work with you for this reason because I'm going to end up working with one of your competitors. So you have a conflict of interest clause like – as a, no, as we, a, we, we, so we will work with multiple businesses that are in the same, the same industry okay. and we'll disclose that. Um, but 
this was early in, in our business. And this guy and just we said we were don't. afraid of, of losing this one client who was gotcha. paying us a lot. Turns out he never ended up launching, starting that other oh, business. Gosh. We fired this other company. They hired another ad agency out of Colorado. It was a good move for them. It worked out for everybody. But I learned something. Like value the relationship over the dollar because the relationship is really the most important thing that produces the dollars. Right. Chasing the dollars will only make you run around in circles. But at the time, like I was like, I can't lose this client because they pay fear. us so yeah, much. Fear. Yeah, it was a bad decision. But I, it was a good time to make that decision and learn. Sure. Because. Um, How long ago was that? Oh, man. Four or five years ago, at so least. We, we were, we we were 18 months yeah. old. You had a, a toddler. You had a toddler as a business. Yeah. 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 I've, the, the don't chase the money thing, you know, I've, I tried to explain that to my staff. Really, I learned this in 2002 when I was at J. Alexander's. You know, I would, they try to instill in you a, as a server back then, you know, you, you have a section in a restaurant. You get this three table section, but as you're walking back to the kitchen, they want you to be mindful of all of the other tables. And if they are in need of something that you would stop and do that, it's a very teamwork mentality, but to a new server, who's not necessarily in that, in that headspace, they're thinking that's not my section. This is my mm -hmm. section. And this is what I'm going to care about. And one of my managers told me one day, I know that they're not going to tip you today, but if they have a great time, the odds of them coming back are very, very high. Yeah. And the odds of them sitting in your section at some point are very, very high. And they will tip you then. And so at some point, it is your money. And you're just ensuring that the quality of their dining experience is so high that they can't help but come back. Yeah. And then you're just ensuring future business. And it's money in your pocket, money in your pocket. And so the idea of taking care of all people instead of worrying about that's not my dollar yet it does it changes your mentality well the small-minded approach in any way is going to limit you on what you can do and i mean so we really because we don't have a contract that binds any our biggest client does not have a contract which if you're an ad agency person listening to this you're probably like what yeah, that's scary but it makes us earn it and it makes us build a relationship that's super strong super sticky um and it's all about what can we do for you and your company? How can we make you successful? And not about what did we invoice you last month? Because when we, when we just look at the invoices on the, that one situation I told you about, the one we made the right dollars and cents decision, but we made the perfectly wrong decision for the longevity of the relationship that we valued, right. which could have turned into a lot more revenue than what we were getting at that time. It was very short-sighted. And I love your analogy with the, the waiter that's not my table. That's not my section. You know, you, the teamwork involved, the, the overall care of the brand of the business from the employee level is huge. Very important. Yeah. That's crazy. You, any other decisions that were really big? Really big. Just the decision that we're always going to be willing to change. Right. So we, I don't even think we consciously said that, but in our world, we were always willing to change, willing to pivot willing to move into a different direction. When we started our business, um, our, our revenue buckets were exact opposite of where they are now. And if we had just hung on and stuck into, we're only gonna focus on this and maybe just a little bit of this other, then we wouldn't be where we are because it's flip-flopped. So we were, 80% of our revenue was in advertising and creative, traditional advertising and creative when we started, and we did some digital. Now that is 
probably 90-10 the other way. Really? So digital, web, all these other things is 90% of our business. And then the creative and advertising side as far as like like margins are the other side of that. So, And that's because everybody has moved to digital. Do you have a morning ritual? Anything that you can't live without? I do. So I, I basically have to get up 30 to 45 minutes before anyone in my house is up. So before my daughter, before the puppy, before my wife's up, like I got to have my own time in the morning, and that's usually very early. Um, what time is that? Around five. Do you set an alarm? No. So I usually, I mean, this I, is have, a, I have an I'm alarm. Finding. I have an alarm set in case I sleep through it, but you don't need it anymore. Well, I, I would say six mornings out of seven, I'm up five to ten minutes before my alarm goes off, and so no one hears it. But yes, uh, starting I, to find this out a lot about small business owners. Yeah. I have the alarm set just in case because you never know. But so I get up and do some some mix of reading and prayer meditation. And so the reading could be scripture. It could be a business book I'm reading. This morning I got this week I got enthralled in this book about the golf courses in the United States. Oh. And so I got up and I read this book because that's what I wanted to read. And then I also do some sort of prayer, meditation, or reflection. Um, and so that could be like what you standardly think as a prayer. Most of the time, it's some sort of like quiet reflection or meditation that uh, centers me kind of for the day and gets me ready to go for the day. I try not to open my phone at all. Um, Are you I, a good golfer? I'm not a good golfer. <laughs> I'm a 16 handicap, and I, think I shoot I'm like in the I shoot in the <laughs> I shoot in the high 80s and low 90s. So I'm not. I won't slow. If you're a good golfer, I'm not going to slow you up. I might even beat you on one or two holes. But I'm not going to beat you for the whole thing. I lost two boxes of balls the last time, the last time I played. That's, yeah, I'm know. pretty terrible. But I only I started playing May of last year. Well, it's the first I mean, time I started playing. Yeah, it's I a mean, complicated it's, thing. It's it's so freaking frustrating. So, and I don't know how you like something that you're so terrible at. Because it's not golf is not about the score. It's about the mindset. You have to be so focused on hitting this ball that it does not move, and you should be able to hit it. You should be. But you have to focus so hard on that that everything else going on in your life you don't think about and you can't think about in order to actually yeah. go play. I love golf for that reason. I love it. I, I have no problem hitting the ball. I just don't have any control over yeah. where it goes. Well, half of a millimeter in the wrong angle puts oh, it's, it so far it away. It is a game of – of micrometers. I mean, just, you're outside. Yeah. You're usually with friends. Not you're thinking focusing about food. only on that and not anything else. Yep. It's, it's the perfect kind of like mind clearing thing. Um, and I, I love it. I, I play as much as my wife allows me to. I mean, I've only, I've gone to the driving range a lot. Like I blew up the go USA card. Right. But, uh, actual games, I've only played 18 holes once and I've played nine holes no, I've played 18 holes. No. Yeah, I've played 18 holes twice now, and I've played nine holes maybe five times. Yeah. So I've played seven whole games of golf in my life, and I've probably lost 300 balls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's – and Kate, luckily Casey Rainey and I have gone, and, I mean, he's very patient. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, that was, that was a great shot, great shot. You know, I was like, dude, I literally shot it to the next tee. Yeah. Like, it's terrible. Uh, it's just it's such a weird thing i didn't i did not think i would enjoy something that i'm so terrible at everybody's bad at it when they first start I that's know. the thing so like it, it's hard to not be embarrassed though when you're playing with somebody that's knocking them 300 yards well yeah but i mean 
They were there they too. They were there. That's right. the thing about golfers. Just I mean, they were there when they were six. Very few people come out of the womb with a beautiful swing, you know. Like, right. And and if you do, good on you. But most of us out there are hackers that are just trying to like have a good time. Um, but yeah, people who are good golfers, um, you know, they they were there too. They started somewhere, and it's just where you start. But that is the crazy thing. It's like some people are just born naturally good singers. Some people have charismatic acting abilities. Some of them are just gifted in some things, like Elon Musk is just a smart guy, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but really nobody is just an awesome golfer from day one. I mean, there are people who are more gifted, physically talented sure. towards it. Tiger Woods. Well, I mean, even Tiger was hitting 100 you know, shots a day when yeah. he was two years old. It took so, work. I mean, yeah. It took work. And that's the thing that, I mean, that's the thing that people don't see in the background, though, right? They just see you've arrived, not how long you've been doing the work and putting yeah. in the effort. I think that's the thing that well, we that, miss. That's a good analogy for small business, right? Absolutely. So, um, you might drive by a golf course and see people playing on a Thursday afternoon and go, how can those people go play golf on Thursday afternoon? Don't they have a job? Or, you know, these golfers spend so much time and money on these trips and all their clubs and everything else. Um, you know, or they're such a good golfer, they just must be able to hit this ball, um, you know, naturally. Well, maybe, but probably they're, they're grinding over their chipping techniques late at night in their basement, or they're hitting the driving range, or they're watching and reading instructional videos or books about technique, and that is all hidden. And small business, same way. So, like, when a small business is successful, or a business in general, but mostly an owner-operated business, is successful you go oh well of course they're successful but you don't see like the the blood sweat and tears you don't see like the anxiety around cash flow you don't see you know taxes and all these other things that are like that are the suck part of they are small businesses you just see the cool restaurant or you just see the cool ad agency or you just see the the successful you know uh broker or whoever right the insurance guy who's got this great office like you just don't see what went into it and or the know, insurance guy that has his own truck yes well they have his, a lot of with them. his face a lot of them have it joe laird yeah well high quality a, man right it's a there. handsome face he is a handsome handsome I would, man if i was that and handsome i'd golfer. put it on my truck and he's a great golfer he's a good golfer too he's yeah. just a good man really i think it's uh it is interesting like the it's the things that you don't see and it's all the the grinding and the thing about you know being a person that works for someone and being the person that is the is the employer it's the clock in clock out mode we don't have that as owners right there is no i mean you you you, you can't you have the ability to clock out kind of now but seven years sometimes right but like well next week on your vacation you'll get to clock out but you know a lot of us don't get to clock out it's that it's that grind mode all the time especially when it's a newer business and i think a lot of people think that it's going to be easy and they find out a month two months in this is a little bit more complicated than I realized, and nothing can really set you up for knowing that other than just doing it. Working at a job, being a manager at a job, all those things are great, and they'll give you experience, but nothing gives you the experience other than just opening your own business. Well, too, and what you need internally is an energy from outside of yourself to get this thing off the ground and then to keep it going and then to keep the processes coming in and the growth with employees and new customers and clients or second locations or whatever, that energy cannot just be, I want to do it. 
because you will fail yourself on your own motivation if you give yourself a chance to. The energy has to be, I have a belief that what I'm doing is making people happy, successful. I have a purpose that's outside of my own bottom line. And that is the energy that drives the business to not only grow and be successful, but keep you going because you don't want to let other people down. At least that's how I look at it. So like when I look at my clients, I say my clients have a business and their business is somewhat dependent upon what I do. And I don't want to be the reason that their business struggles or fails or whatever. So right. like I have to, I have to keep it going, but that mindset keeps other people wanting that type of attention. But then you have, you face new problems. Like how much of yourself can you give out? And then you have to like start to scale employees. And that's, that's where we're at now is we're, we're getting to the point where we, we have two employees. We need more employees. When do we get the, when do, when, when do we hire who do we hire? Yeah. The, the, the scaling of the business is the newest problem that we're facing is a younger business. Hiring um, is very tricky, especially right now. So far, we've gone two for two, right? Awesome. On our employees. Is Olivia still working with oh, you? Yeah. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. great. We couldn't do it without her. And that's great, but we're, we're looking at, okay, we got two spots probably by the end of the year. That's fill, awesome. And who do we get? Are they the right fit? Do they have the same buy-in that we have on you know, philosophy and everything else like that. And there's, yeah. there's people that I reach out to about those kind of questions, you know, so, um, you know, that's kind of the new endeavor for us. So onward and upward. Yeah. Try to Mo business, mo people. Yeah. Well, Biggie said it. <laughs> that's right. Mo well, business, mo problems. Yes. And that is true. It's just bigger business, bigger problems. You know, it's, yeah. You got little problems when you have a little bit of business, and as they get but bigger. But they're big then. Oh, God, yes. You solve I, them, and then you get bigger problems, and those are big. And you solve those, and then you get bigger problems, and those are big. It just is a you, you they, can't. They're getting incrementally bigger, but they, you're, they're preparing you for the big. Because, you know, five years ago, I couldn't have handled the problems that I have now yeah. because I hadn't been through those. But at the time, every single problem feels like a John Hughes movie, and it's like 16 candles. It's so emotional. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is going to be the end. And then, and then somehow you don't die. And you keep on going, and then yeah. those feelings keep coming back. All right, so three things that you cannot live without. Okay, so physical things. That physical, I tangible things that you cannot live without. Okay. Could be a cheeseburger. Okay. Could be a stapler. I don't know. Okay. So the first thing I think of is my phone. Okay. Because I could do 90% of what I personally do in our business on the phone. I'm always on the phone. I'm texting, emailing clients and everything else like that. So... I do very little like creative work or writing work that I couldn't do. I could type stuff out on my phone. So my phone is more important to me than my laptop for what I do. Now, right. everybody else in the business. Travis could not do that. No. Yeah. Everybody else in the business, their computer is more important than their phone. But for me, my phone is the most important thing in my business. Travis needs his office, though, because all of his figurines are in there. Yeah, he does have some pretty cool. He does have some awesome collectibles. Superhero stuff. Yes. Yeah, he likes that. His office is pretty dope. And he's got some pretty cool concert posters. He's the most interesting he's a man cool in the dude. world. Very cool. Much cooler than I am. Very true. I wasn't going to say it. No, he is. <laughs> You know it. Everyone knows this. They Everybody see us and like, it. oh, I get it. You're- I mean, y'all are very, y'all are just incredibly different. It's so well, it cool works. that you work together. Us. I mean, it's, works for us. it's great. Well, it's we so differ great. in a lot of ways, but we also have a lot of shared values. And right. we think the same way. He's also a great guy, right? Yeah. Well, we I mean, try to, yeah, we share a lot of the same type of ideals. Uh, okay, second thing I couldn't live without. We talked about golf. I love playing golf. My golf clubs, like, you know, it's, for me, um, 
a afternoon of golf, either with clients or on the weekend or something like that, is like a four-hour vacation. It can reset me. If I'm super stressed, I can hit the driving range or I can go out even by myself. I'm outside. I love to be outside and I can just like focus on that. It's almost like a four-hour therapy session or a three-hour therapy session for me. So like just stuff, like physical things, I think that would be one. How many times times a month do you think you play? A month? Yeah. Uh, I would say four to six times a month. Yeah, a lot, my a lot on the weekends, and then sometimes during the week, you know, um, I try to I try to get out there. Sometimes those are not eighteen hole rounds. Sometimes it's nine hole round. Or eighteen like takes that. a long time. It can. Yeah, yeah. I played one nine holes at Champions Run one time. I think it took me four hours to play nine holes. That's a long time. I was behind like six groups of five that were all over the age of seventy five. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. It was a long Sunday morning. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I did not like the game of golf when I was done. Yeah, I would probably I was turn like, around. F this. Yeah. Turn around left after that <laughs> one. Stupid. Um, I guess I've given you two, haven't I? Yep. I guess the only like the, the other thing, you know, outside of your cliche, oh my family, family. And everything else. Yeah. Uh books. <laughs> not to downplay family, obviously, but Yeah, no, well that's that's inherent in what right. we're talking about. Uh books. So I read a lot. Um Do you read or do you listen to audiobooks? I read more than I don't really listen to audiobooks. Okay. Um I listen to some podcasts while I'm driving. I I digest a lot more information by reading than I do by listening. Really? Mm-hmm. Um so I do I do have a few audiobooks I hit up here and there. I do a lot of podcasts like while I'm driving. And like, you know You doing one right are, now? Yeah. <laughs> well I listen to podcasts okay. while I'm driving. That I'm not talking on podcasts. He's a um, very, very, very busy man. Yes. Now, while I'm driving, I'll listen to things that are interesting, uh, business podcasts or golf podcasts, or, uh, you know, I have a couple music or certain other interests that I have in, in podcasts, but reading. Uh, so I, last year, I think I read, I don't remember. It was like 30 or 40 books in the year, right? So it was a lot. That's so, a lot. So usually when I get a book, I'll read it within about a week. Um, and... I read fast. I try to get through it. I try to mark it up. Or if I'm reading an ebook on my phone, then I'll I'll, I'll uh, reference pages and and highlight things. Or if it's I like or prefer physical books because I like to write in the margins and and make notes and highlight things. Um, but I read quickly. So usually once I start a book, I will read it within about a week. And then I might pick up another book immediately and read another book in that week. Sometimes I'll take a week or two off, and then sometimes I'll read. Like, when I go on vacation, I usually read about two books on vacation because I'm at the beach or something like that, and I'm reading while I'm chilling out. So that, I read constantly, and I've done that since I was a kid. Uh, If we're counting, like, Paw Patrol and Pokemon books, I read, like, one a day. Yes. But it's generally Mm -hmm. about 8 o'clock at night. Yes. And I get through three pages, and my six-year-old goes, that's enough, Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a – I think I absorb more through listening. But I'm also – my work is much more – not to say yours isn't, but I'm – I'm doing things with my hands, like, 12 hours a day. And so, for me, listening to a book is much – I can absorb a lot. Like, I can get – I think I got through green lights in like two days oh, yeah. because I just listened to it the whole day I was at work. And so I was on a mission to try to get 50 books this year. Uh, I think I'm up to like 10 so far, which I'm not going to make it by any means. But um, 
listening is I can I can fly through a book because I can ingest the whole thing in one or two days. I'm not hating on ebooks. No, or, no, I know you're not. Or it's or just on, uh, personal on audio books. Yeah, like, yeah, I think that they're great. Yeah, absolutely. I talk for a living. Plus, listening to Matthew McConaughey for ten hours is, yes. is pretty nice. Yeah, <laughs> I went to Australia. Oh, yeah. you're, you're gonna love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, I talk for a living. Yeah, and listen for a living, right? So, like, what we're doing now is kind of what I do all day, every day. So sometimes I just need it to be quiet. Yeah, check out. Yeah, and I want to just focus in on what I'm reading, and I do that early in the morning, late at night. I don't watch a lot of TV, honestly. I watch some sports, um, you know, football. I watch a lot of football when it's on. I'll watch golf. But other than that, like, I'll catch little sports things, but I don't know. I'm not the guy to ask about, like, what's a great show to watch. I might watch one, like, Netflix show in a given year. So you're not really a binger. No, I, yeah. I, I don't have, I don't, I don't really care for it. And, um, I don't know. We binge, but it like, we don't, I can't stay up long enough at night. Cause I'm so gassed by the end of the night that, you know, if there's a, if there's a seven season show, it might take us half a year. Cause yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to sp- get like 30, 45 minutes into one episode. And I'm like, and I'm going, my melatonin's kicked in. I'm going to bed. It has to be really good. Because otherwise, like, I get anxious watching TV for too long because I feel like I'm not doing anything. Wasting your time. Yeah. So, like, when I'm reading, at least in my mind, even if it's not something that's, like, business or spiritual or anything, at least I feel like I'm productive when I'm reading. It feels beneficial. It's entertaining, but I also feel like I'm growing in some way. Do you read before you go to bed? Oh, yeah. Do you have to read a – do you have, like, a nighttime routine? Um, Like, does reading put you to sleep? No, I don't have to read to go to sleep, but I usually do read. Um, so you go to bed, read, turn off your light, and you can go to bed. I don't read in bed. Oh. I read in my bonus room most of the time because my puppy is in his crate in my office at home. So I'll most of the time be my wife will already be in bed, and I will read at night until I'm tired, and I'll come downstairs and go to bed and immediately Gone. fall asleep. Yeah. Do you wake up in the middle of the night? Rarely. God, I do. It's terrible. I'm like the other night I went to bed at nine thirty. I woke up at eleven and thought it was like six AM. No. I went out like I I made my way to the thin Oreos. God, it I felt so bad about it. I was eating it while I was coming back Just to bed. Your I, inner fat kid. Because you're not you, like you you work out like an animal, but your inner fat kid got you yeah, and the I've Oreos been, at eleven o'clock. Yes, and I've been uh, the last few weeks I've really tried to be very strict on myself, mm-hmm. like next to no cheat meals. I've had one I've had really one cheat meal in about two and a half weeks. I'm trying to really uh, – I've started to run three miles in the morning and then take the kids to school and then go to the gym. Okay. And so I've gained – it doesn't really matter. But, I, but yes, I was, like, sneaking these Oreos in the dark of the night, you know, these thin Oreos, which are – I don't even like Oreos, but these things are delicious. Crush them Oreos. Yeah, these things are, like, thin and cr- crisp and crunchy, but they got that cream still in the middle. And I, like, caught the microwave on my way back to bed, and I was like, 1101, what the yeah. – <laughs> what, what is happening in my mind? Why am I awake? And then I usually wake up around 2.30 or 3 almost every morning, and, you know, I usually go to the bathroom or whatever, but my, my brain, once I'm up, it just kicks into high gear. And so I'll lay back down, but I'm usually up by 4.45 every morning, and that's when my coffee sits to auto-brew. So yeah. I'm usually – and I found that I, if I don't get up – I actually, and I fall back asleep. I actually feel worse when I wake up yeah, at like five. Yeah, sometimes you just have to. It's just terrible. Yeah. All right, two things you use every day. Two things I use every day? Every day. Probably your phone. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? That's not even a great answer because everyone's like, 
If you're listening, you're probably like, yeah. On my phone. Yeah. What is that? You know, you know what your screen time is? Do you I look at it sometimes. What, how high is it? Um, so I don't have phone calls included as screen time. Okay. Oh, I Usually, didn't know you could separate that out. Well, I don't know. I don't think I do. I don't guess you're staring at your screen, though, if you're on the phone. Well, yeah, and I'm using – usually I'm at AirPods Got it. when I'm on the phone like in my office. I guess it counts for mindless scrolling is for most people, like yeah. checking your socials and Twitter and all that jazz. It's, uh, it's usually under two hours, two and a half hours a day, unless I'm reading an ebook, Then it'll be more. Sure. And usually the breakdown is like Instagram, <laughs> then email, and then – photos and then maybe facebook or whatever like but those are the top two email texting and instagram are the top time getters on my phone yeah. unless i'm reading an ebook on my phone and then it'll be you know the apple books or whatever the the iphone has and i don't know if an android has this but the ability it has to piece together videos of you know a specific face so oh, you can yeah, make yeah. this montage the photos and, of your children yeah. and you can watch them from like birth mm-hmm. until where they are now and you can put this music behind mm-hmm. it. It might be one of the most depressing features I've ever. You can watch this 60 second video of your, your kids growing up in front of you and it's, there are more, the, my children are six and four. There are more photos of my children on my phone than there are of me in existence and I'm almost 40. Well, yeah. That's how many photos I just snapped. Imagine if, if your mom had an iPhone in the 80s. You, you would have that, I'm too. I'm very glad she didn't. Yeah. And I'm glad social media didn't exist when I was in college. Yeah. All right. Single best piece of advice you've ever been given, if you can even whittle that down. Yeah. So there's, there's one thing that sticks out to me that was very impactful, and it was right when I was starting my business. Uh, a friend of mine who is older, uh, he's my dad's age. Uh, you know him. Brian Hercules. Oh, yeah. Okay. Herc? Herc. Haven't seen him in years. Yeah. He's... I miss that guy. He's... he. I count him as, like, one of my mentors. Very wise. Second father. You know, he's amazing. Great man. He he sat me down one time, and he was like, hey, man, like, you got a lot of energy. You're a go-getter. You you know, you got a lot of plans and whatever. He's like, but you also have a daughter, and he's like, make sure you don't look back and wish that you had spent more time with your daughter so do whatever you got to do to like be intentional about being a good father and being there and so I took that to heart and that's when I started doing the Saturday morning breakfast with my daughter which every Saturday every Saturday same place no we we bounce around sometimes I'll go get donuts or something and bring it back sometimes I'll make breakfast but we always eat breakfast together. Most of the time we go out. And that's a big thing of like you, me and her, she'll pick where we go. We always listen to some kind of music that she's not, not like familiar with. So I'll like put on the Beatles or. Does she have know. a favorite place to eat? Uh, she loves Waffle House. Well, that's because I mean, she's a true blooded American. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she loves Waffle House. She loves. What does she um, get at Waffle House? Waffles. Chocolate chip waffles. Anything else? Hash bacon, brown scattered bacon, covered in chunks? No. Bacon. She's pretty like like chocolate chip Simple pancakes, American. chocolate chip <laughs> waffles, and bacon, and chocolate milk. That's a solid sugar sugary breakfast. She's, she's fired it. up. Yeah. She's 10, and, you know, that's what she does. But we, me, it's me and her, we go to breakfast every Saturday. That's awesome. And so I started putting some of this on Instagram just to kind of document it, I guess. Yeah. I wasn't looking for like applause or whatever. And people w- were liking it or whatever. And so, okay, fine, whatever. These people were my friends. Well, then I just, I'm going to stop this. And I had people come up to me 
and be like, hey, are you still doing breakfast with your daughter? And I was like, yeah. Well, I haven't seen you post anything about it. <laughs> Holding you and accountable. I was like, well, I'm not going to put my whole life on online. Like, right. Well, I mean, I really look forward to that. I wake up on Saturday mornings, and I, the first thing I do is look for where you went to breakfast with her. That's wild. And, okay, so then I'll put it on Facebook for another three or four weeks, and then I'll quit. And then I'll have somebody else, too. I mean, multiple people have, over the years. Have, so it's just like one of our things, and I, tri- I, like, I cherish that Saturday morning with her. And she knows it's coming. Tomorrow we're going somewhere. We've already got it planned out. Um, and I just hope that she wants to keep doing this as she becomes a teenager. Cause I mean, she won't. She won't be like, <laughs> Dad, I don't want to go to breakfast. Because oh that God, would be heartbreaking. Dad. Can but we do a drive through It's been like eight years, though. That's pretty We've amazing. We've done it since she was like two or three. And that's because that advice I got. Like, don't look back and wish that you like, spent had more spent time. more time. Like, good time, you know. And so that was some good advice. It's just good life advice. Absolutely. I mean, but, yeah. I mean, the so oddly enough, at Waffle House, um, a few years ago, my wife and myself and my two boys were there. And they were younger. And my youngest was being a two-year-old and so insane. And uh, this older gentleman, I mean, he had to be in his 80s or 90s, comes over to the table. And he just said, I'm going to give you some advice. The days are long, but the years are short. And I was like, thank you. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. And you th- I think about that all the time when I have these incredibly long days. or And my wife thinks about it when she's, you know, my boys have been homesick today and she's working from home. And so it's a lot to have a four- and a six-year-old at home sick while she's trying to get her job done and do it well. Yeah. And she just, uh, you know, I, I went home for lunch and I heard her just go, days are long but the years are short yeah. and it's the truth well, I mean, she's a saint she is i don't well, know she how, puts up with you i mean well that's a whole nother ball game hmm. she basically has like eight children with me i yeah. mean in, including me so yeah. it's a lot for her to put up with and she is a rock star and she handles it like a champ and so uh, i'm very blessed for sure you are as well i mean you know you you got a great family you got a great business you're surrounded by great friends and I really appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for having me on. And I hope the podcast goes well. I hope that people listening, um, you know, don't feel like they're the only ones who are business owners that have doubts or who are like, man, you know, is this going to happen? You know, this is hard. It's hard for everybody. Everybody has doubts. Yeah. You're um, not on an island. That's for no, sure. For sure. So, I mean, if you're a small business center and you're, you're listening to this, I hope that, you know, you probably don't think that you hate us like who are these two idiots nah, talking man. but just keep but your head that, up yeah that, that it was maybe encouraging and then um yeah man this is awesome yeah keep grinding all right buddy thanks pete appreciate it See you, man.